You know, as you go back a bunch of years ago, we we just saw Free Guy and, uh, you know, Greg and I reviewed Free Guy on the show yesterday. And Free Guy is, of course, directed by Sean Levy. Now, one of my favorite films directed by Levy was one in the early 2010s with Hugh Jackman called Real Steel. And it was one of those movies that, kind of looked quite honest, like a complete throwaway movie. It's like, ah, this is going to, I mean, Hugh Jackman's in it. That gives us some credibility, but overall boxing robots. Yay. This is going to be like, it's going to be all visual effects, whatever, but instead watch the movie. It had grit and it had heart and it just, it filled your heart. It was a warming, moving and exciting and kind of a Rocky-esque ending that when the movie was ending, like people in the theaters were like standing and cheering. It was incredible. And a lot of us wanted to see chapter two, like what happens next after the, like the ending of that movie was just begging for a part two and it never came. And so over the years, a lot of us just accepted, well, this is probably never going to happen. Well, according to Sean Levy, the director of that movie, he's out doing promo, of course, for Free Guy. And he's now saying there could still very well be a real steal, too. Uh, this is what he had to say about it. He says, it's amazing how streaming gives people an opportunity to discover things. Obviously, it happened with Cobra Kai and what happened with them when they moved from YouTube to Netflix. But when Real Steel was on Netflix in 2020 and it was in the top trending titles, it really showed us, oh, wait a second. That audience is still there and maybe we can even grow it. Hugh and I have definitely, we have seen each other recently and I'm not going to lie and say that it didn't come up. And that comes to us again from Sean Levy. And I'll tell you what, guys, this filled my heart with joy in such a way that I didn't think was possible. I just read that. I'm like, oh God, this is something I would love to see happen. And again, because it's that heart and that humanity about the first one. Like they probably should have gone with a different title. Real Steel doesn't do the movie any favors. I, I, I will give you that. But I was so taken. Now, as a matter of fact, I had gotten together with Hugh Jackman on a couple of occasions to talk to him about that. And I wanted to show you guys this one little clip. This was one of the times I got together with him. And I asked him specifically about, you know, the humanity of this and how they brought the warmth to it. Anyway, uh, this is me and Hugh Jackman uh, uh, from a few years ago. Check this out. Uh, Hugh, when we talked in Las Vegas, you told me that the, one of the great things about this movie was it's not just an action movie, it's not just a sci-fi movie, it's a movie with heart, it's a movie with a human story. I've got to admit, at the time I didn't really buy it because I'm thinking, that's what they all say, <laughs> yeah. really sad. but it does, it, yeah. this is a movie with heart, and it is yeah. a movie with a great human story. How yeah. do you think you guys, between you and Sean and, and all the, the team, were able to elevate that human story and, and keep this movie with all of its heart? It had, it was on the road there in the script I read. It was one of those movies where I was like, okay, I get this. I see where they're going with it. But not until I spoke to Sean and Sean gave me his draft, it just went from here to here. Mm. Like Sean came out with some of the best lines in the movie. Like he wrote like, you know, and I say to the kid, uh, I, I don't understand. I'm doing everything I can. What do you want from me? You know, and right. he says, I want you to fight for me. That's all I've ever wanted. You know, it's a great line, you know, boxing movie. and. That's Sean, because Sean, as a writer, director, he wears his heart on his sleeve, and he's not afraid of it. That was us a couple of years ago talking about that, and, and he emphasizes that part well about, you know, the way they were able to kind of cross that bridge, and that's what made it so special to me. Uh, Rob, I'm going to tell you what. 
I am very excited about this. Now, obviously, I don't want to get ahead of myself. He's not saying, yes, we met with the studio. It's greenlit, uh, Real Steel 2 coming in 2023. I don't want to get ahead of myself. The, the, the odds are this is still not going to happen. But, you know, to quote Dumb and Dumber, so you're saying there's a chance. Just that is getting me excited. Anyway, Rob, what were your thoughts on that original Real Steel? And what do you think of the possibilities of them maybe revisiting it and doing a sequel? Well, I've always thought of Real Steel as the Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie. And I was surprised when I went and saw it that it, it it had heart. I liked it. Like you, I thought, this is pretty good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it reminded me of an old Twilight Zone episode. And um, I, I, I liked the world and the characters. So it's not exactly the first movie I would say, I need to see a sequel to this right now. But, you know, I wouldn't say no. And uh, if they've got a good story, I mean, Sean Levy's been pretty much killing it since Real Steel came out. So he's been responsible for some really interesting things. And I think if he threw his hat in the ring again, so to speak, uh, they could probably come up with something decent, you know, and I would see it. I'll tell you, one of the coolest things about when Real Steel was coming out Uh was like, I'm not the biggest boxing guy in the world. I'm not. But the fight choreographer for Real Steel was Sugar Ray Leonard. Shut up. And I got to go to a hotel and sit down and actually interview Sugar Ray Leonard. And I'm not going to lie to you. Bro. That was pretty. Because when I was a little kid, when I was a little kid, my dad took me, because before they had pay-per-view, they had closed circuit where you could go to like an arena or something and buy a ticket to watch a fight on the big screen. And when I was a kid, my dad took me to see a closed circuit TV uh, broadcast of Sugar Ray Leonard against Marvelous Marvin Hagler. And so I like, I've just been like, of all Sugar Ray Leonard. So getting to sit down and talk with Sugar Ray Leonard was like, the best thing ever. I anyway, love him. let me ask you, yeah. Kim, like, what are your memories of like Real Steel? And would you be interested in a follow-up film? I, much like Rob, I was like, so is this the, the live action Rock'em Socket, I guess? Yeah. Um, and I honestly thought that's what it was. Because this came out kind of near all the Transformers and all that. Um, there's something about Hugh Jackman that just makes us feel. Whether oh. it's Wolverine, whether it's Greatest Showman, whether it's Kate and Leopold, he just gets to your heart and he's a he's a moving kind of guy. No matter if he's sweating or bringing you a rose, he just makes you just like, I don't know, he gets all up in the feels. And <laughs> I was like, I can't believe the Rock of Socket got up in my feels. Like, it really, he makes everything There's some eye-watering moments he's, in that movie. He's the secret sauce that makes things heartwarming. He is that secret sauce. And so I, I think, you know, in this age of reboots and sequels, I, whenever I hear of a sequel, I always go, oh, I don't know. But honestly, if it was good, if it got to your heart, if it made you feel really good, I say, why not? Yeah. Why not? And why? we miss him. Oh. It's been a while. I, I miss my Hugh Jack. My Hugh Jack. <laughs> did you see that HBO movie he did where he played played the principal? The principal? Yeah, I'm trying. Yes. So my girl from it West Wing, good. Allison Janney. Oh, and Allison Janney oh, was it? Yeah. Man. That was really good. And his character was very complex because you want it again. You loved Hugh him Jackman, and you hated him at times. You wanted to love. He he makes you love him, but he also stole from children. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> by the way, our friend RM sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, RM. I appreciate that. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. 
What do you think about this? Did you like the original Real Steel? Maybe you didn't at all. Maybe you have no interest. Maybe you're excited about the idea. Do you think they're actually going to do a Real Steel 2? Whatever you guys are thinking, jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's do another off the top, and that is this. You know, I think it's safe to say that one of the biggest pop cultural phenomena in terms of television over the past like half decade or so has been Stranger Things. This was a weird looking little show that kind of came out of nowhere. Like I remember the first previews for it came out. I was like, okay, it looks kind of cute. But all of a sudden, like two weeks after drop, a week and a half or a few days after it drops, all you hear anywhere is everybody talking about Stranger Things. That's it. Everybody loves Stranger Things. And then when I watch, I'm like, I... I didn't think it was like the greatest thing ever when I first saw it, but I was certainly on board with it. Like I watched it and the, like I, my flashback and, and nostalgia of being younger and playing D and D hell, I still play D and D being younger and playing D and D and with my buddies and my friends and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, season three, season three for some people weren't as thrilled with it. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you straight up. I actually really like season three. I'm not saying it's my favorite of the three yeah. seasons, but I really liked it. And it's like, obviously, you know, Hopper was still alive. I mean, obviously. So they showed a little stuff like that. So they put out a new teaser for today. Yes. Um, I mean, footage from the previous seasons, a few little shots that we see of what's going to be new. Sean Levy, of course, who we were just talking about in Real Steel saying, hey, we've been traveling all over the world shooting this thing. This thing is going to be bigger in scale, you know, than all of the seasons we've done so far. But they also said it doesn't come back out until 2022. Now, if I'm not mistaken, was the last season not 2019? Is that when season three came out? Uh, yeah, it was 2019. Was it? Yeah. So we're going to like I have, believe. I believe so. Yeah. So we're going to have like almost three years in between. And those kids we, are growing fast. These kids They're are like, getting big. High school's really tough. Fast. I'm like, you guys got to shoot this fast. Yeah. Man. And they're, they're still doing shooting. It's not like they actually <laughs> finished shooting this pre-COVID. I mean, they're still shooting this thing. Yeah. But this thing's now coming out in 2022. I know a lot of people were excited about, well, hey. Now we know when it's coming, but some people were also kind of disappointed in that, oh, we've got to wait that long. Some people were kind of hoping for a November drop, and they're still not giving us an exact date. Like, they're saying 2022, it still might not come out until, like, December of 2022, for all we know. It could be January. It could be December. We have no idea. But a lot of people are excited about this. Kimberly, let me ask you, are, are you a... Stranger Thing fan is this one is this something you're looking forward to I'm so excited I'm such a Stranger Thing fan and I loved it because for me with my nephews like of course like once your kids get to like a certain age you want to share those films that kind of made your childhood like watching the Sandlot with the boys was a huge deal for me um and then showing them ET but the funny thing is when when Stranger Things came out I was like, okay, we're going to watch this first and then we're going to watch E.T. And then we're going to watch Goonies because it just had that vibe of these these movies that kind of shaped my love for film and my childhood. And the kids like totally got the vibe because Stranger Things is just rolling off that vibe. I know two people that named their dog Eleven. <laughs> oh, really? If I had a dog, I'd name it Eleven. Um, I, I I used to do um, events for for many many years, and I know someone that did a 40th birthday that was um, in the theme of the Upside Down. 
Um, and it looked actually really, really cool. And I know a lot of like escape rooms have done that. It affected the culture in such a big way. And it's from everything that's taking, you know, again, reboots and sequels, whenever from everything that's like taking from uh, the great movies of the past days, this one hit the nail on the head with the vibe. I mean, having Sean Astin in there and Winona Ryder, yeah. of course, that got all up in your 80s feels. But the execution in the show is so good. Season three wasn't my favorite. Season two, like, I love season one. Oh, my gosh. Um, but everything from the suspense to the creature to the kids just taking taking charge. I love Stranger Things. I couldn't be more excited. These kids are so precious. <laughs> I absolutely love them. And you can't even call them kids anymore. They're young adults. They're they're actually. Yeah, I'm I think really... one's like a registered accountant now and probably oh, like, <laughs> did my taxes. They'll be graduating college in the next season. Yeah. And and um, I can't believe her name is escaping me. The young lady that plays Eleven. Oh, who's also in Godzilla. And yeah, like, I, can't, I, uh, I can't remember her name off the top I of my head. I can't believe it's escaping me. And she's Enola Holmes. Yes, and- Enola. I was just going to say Enola Holmes. I absolutely loved. I think this, I knew. Millie Bobby sh- Brown. Bob, thank you, Millie Bobby Brown. I knew this show would be a jumping off point for all these kids. And I was like, the first season, I was like, I can't wait to see where these kids go individually. And I'm so happy. The young man that was in uh, Concrete Cowboy with Idris Elba, um, it's, I, I'm so excited for this cast. I love David Harbour. I'm so excited for season four. Rob, so um, I, I, yeah, I don't recall you and I talking about Stranger Things. Like, are, are you big into Stranger Things? What do you think about this fact that it's not going to come out until 2022? What did you think of the little teaser? What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I, I'm still perplexed by the Stranger Things um, sequel that's being, you know, battled over in Hollywood. I mean, we know what happened to David Harbour. You know, we saw it in Black Widow. <laughs> and I just don't understand. Everyone's wondering, what happened to David Harbour? Well, <laughs> there, clearly, he ended up in a Russian was, prison. He, he became a Russian superhero. I mean, isn't that the way? I mean, in what both, better he ends way? up in a Russian prison. I never even thought about it that way. <laughs> Come on, man. And, and remember, that was in the 80s. By the time you get to the 90s, he's a he's an operative back in America raising <laughs> his faux family. He was I, turned. I thought, he was I turned. I thought that was a really sneak. No, to, in all seriousness, I loved the first season of Stranger Things. Just Stranger Things Besides, I, I, there was a there was a few things that bothered me. Like I'll tell you, the Millennium Falcon for the three and three quarter inch Star Wars figures that they had in Stranger Things was not actually the one from the eighties. It was the reissued one from over a decade later. Those things bothered me because I noticed them. Um, but other than that, I really enjoyed it. It was like reading a Stephen King novel, and uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, the first season. Second season was a little bit more of the same. The third season, I thought, you know what I think? It's kind of to me like the Oceans trilogy. The first one is Oceans 11. The first season is Oceans 11. The second season is Oceans 12. And the third season is Oceans 13, which I like more than I like 12, but not as much as I liked one. So there isn't a fourth Oceans 11 movie unless you go with Oceans 8. So maybe that's what we're getting with the fourth season of Stranger Things. I, I think it's it's a lot of fun. I think they close the door on the upside down. I'd like to see more happen i hope they broaden their fantastical horizons but i i really like the show i really like the cast i mean it's interesting to see finn wolfhard in in ghostbusters afterlife you know i mean i think that was a great a great advancement of of his career from stranger things well, i mean so, he's uh, been very busy i mean he he's very actually busy. yeah he's they've had, he's appeared in a bunch whole bunch of things yeah I, I i i but i think that they're definitely playing on that idea and i i look i 
I really like it. I think the world is very intriguing, and I would like to see more of that, like this experimentation and and the government agencies that know both the Russians and the Americans know the upside down exists. And I I, I like that whole milieu. So I hope they do a lot more with it. And bring back Barb. <laughs> yeah. What happened? Yeah, where to is Barb? Barb? Justice for <laughs> Barb. All right. The question for you guys is. What do you think about this? I know there's a whole lot of you that are very, very big fans of Stranger Things. Teaser dropped. We now know that it's not going to be coming out until 2022. Still not a specific release date. How are you guys feeling about it? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, we've got one more off the top to do, and that is this. You know, obviously, if there is a Hollywood Valhalla uh, one of the guys who is going to be ushered into those gates the moment uh, he departs this earthly realm is Clint Eastwood. I mean, what this guy has been able to do, this guy has had three separate careers that all by themselves would be Hall of Fame. He is a Hall of Fame director. He is a Hall of Fame actor. And I would propose that two different eras, you could just have his post 50 year old acting era is a hall of fame actor. His pre 50 acting career is a hall of fame era. I mean, he's just one of the best and he just continues to do it. The dude is 91 years old. <laughs> Last I checked, he's 91 years old. Anyway, he's got a new movie coming out called cry macho and cry macho just dropped its first trailer. And I remember Rob, you and I talked about when they first kind of announced this movie and they kind of announced a little bit of a synopsis for it. You know, a, a former rodeo star, now an aging cowboy does a favor for a friend to travel in the Mexico to help his son out or something like that. And we talked, it's like, okay, sounds interesting. Maybe, maybe Clint's getting a little lower key as he's getting up, uh, up, up in age, whatever. But then I watched this trailer. And I'll tell you what, I got, and I mean this in the best possible way, I got like Gran Torino vibes from it. And I got Million Dollar Baby vibes from it, as well as a little bit of Unforgiven vibes from it. It seems like, Rob, what was the name of that one movie he did? We, we talked about it not too long ago where he was the uh, getting ready to retire Secret Service agent who was protecting the president, John oh, in Malkovich. The in the line of fire, In the line, dude. In the line of Come fire. On. Which came Come out on. nearly 30 so years ago. That movie came out nearly 30 years ago. I love that movie. Nearly 30 years ago, Clint Eastwood was playing the aging guy getting ready to hang it up. He has been playing the aging <laughs> guy getting ready to hang it up for 30 years. And <laughs> what's really cool, too, about this about this trailer, which I thought was great, was... I, I now see, see a theme in Clint Eastwood's films of the last 15, 20 years, which is he's an, he's an old man passing on learnt lessons and regrets to a younger generation. And you see that in Million Dollar Baby. It, it's like literally, it's almost like a memoir of, of Clint Eastwood talking about how to approach life. And like when you get to his age, you start seeing things differently, mistakes and opportunities missed and decisions made and things like that and how that makes him the man he is. But also you see him trying to impart a little bit of that to a younger generation. We see that also in Gran Torino. Like that was really a big part of Gran Torino to me as well. There was even a bit of that in Mule. 
And like you're watching now this, and I feel like this is almost like the the big chapter in that memoir of Clint Eastwood talking about, you know, how you deal with life and the ways he successfully navigated it and the regrets that he has and passing that on. And it just seems like this overriding theme that Eastwood has had, again, you'd think for like the last five years, but he's been doing this. I mean, hell, ever since Space Cowboys, he's been doing this. And I can't even remember how long ago Space Cowboys was. But I, I, I just personally sense that theme. I think it's absolutely fabulous. This thing looks great. I mean, when he punches the dude in the face, I'm like, oh, well, okay, that didn't look so, not a lot of verisimilitude in that shot. But everything else about it, I just ate it up. And where I was very lukewarm on the idea of this movie before, I can't wait to watch it now. This trailer shot it right to the top for me. I'm excited about it. Rob, you had a chance to see the Cry Camacho, uh, the Cry Macho, I mean, trailer. What did you think about it? Okay, I got. I'm gonna blow your mind because this blew my mind. The screenplay for this movie was written in the early '70s. Yes, and it was rejected by 20th Century Fox, and then the dude turned it into a novel. And it called, I think it was just, it might have been called Cry Macho. The screenplay was called Macho, and the book was called Cry Macho in the in in, in 1975. The novel comes out; it's pretty big. He goes back with his exact same screenplay and repitches it to 20th Century Fox, and they buy it. And then over the years, for since the 70s, they've been trying to make this movie. And there was all kinds of actors that have been attached to it at different studios. This script, this movie, they've been trying to make for the basically 50 years. Yeah. So Clint wow. Eastwood rolls along at 91. Brother Eastwood is 91, and he directs and stars in this movie. I mean, the the journey, this is why you can never give up, kids. People have asked, been asking ourselves, asking this show, John. We've had a few letters. You know, I'm 23 years old, and I just don't know if... If it's I, too I just, late for I, me. Should I give up on my dreams? Let me just say that Cry Macho might be one of the, the greatest examples of how material, a screenwriter, by the way, who died in 2000, but, but and an actor... This movie represents 50 years and a lifetime of Clint Eastwood's work to get to finally make it at 91. If that isn't an uplifting story, I don't know what is. Yeah, that's... I hope I hope the movie I like the movie. One of the great one liners of the year is actually at the end of the trailer. Oh and I'm not going to say what it is. Well, you can I'm not say, it. say you what can it say is. It. I could never do it justice. What 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 was it exactly again? Like any man wants to name his cock macho is fine by me or something <laughs> like that. It's like oh Clint. Any I think it's any man who wants yeah any man who wants to call his cock macho yeah is fine by me or something fine like by that. me. And I'm like that's a and the fact that they let that in the trailer. I mean they have to because the words are the words. I, I mean that, that's what it is. Anyway, Kim, you had a chance to see this trailer. What did you make of the cry macho trailer? First of all, in the words of the great Pete Hornberger. It's never too late. It's <laughs> never too late for now. I love that Clint Eastwood is like retire what? Huh? I don't know the meaning of that word because right. if you if you have it in you, can't stop won't stop. And that's I feel like if he has a tattoo anywhere on that fine fine body of his, <laughs> it's got to say can't stop won't stop. I'm a Clint Eastwood <laughs> bitch. Um <laughs> but seriously, I got Okay, the last movie um, that blew me away of his that I was nervous about because I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, Clint, you know what? You always bring it, but you're getting up there, buddy. It was Mule. And right. that movie 
had me sweating on the edge of my seat. Yeah, I love so you. nervous. Yeah, the way he played that cool with the with the drug dealers in Mexico, and you know he played aloof and he played cool and he played this guy that just has never given up the game. I was like, you know what? Forget my doubts because I was like, oh, I don't know, Clint, you're getting up there. When I saw Mule, I was like, shut up, let it go, let let the man do what he does. He's amazing. And he is a testament that it is never too late, not only to follow your dreams, but it's for those who are kind of up in age and kind of feel like, oh, my kids are telling me to calm down. You know, my body's (laughs) getting a little creaky. You know, it's he's also a testament to you don't have to stop unless you feel like it. Nobody can tell you to freaking stop. He's 91. And this looks good. Yeah, it looks really good. This looks really, really good. I'm excited for it. I'm excited for something that a 90-year-old man is putting out and starring in and directing. And I can't wait. And I bet you it's going to be fantastic. Looks good to me. Rob, I was going to point out that on your 71st birthday, all of you, think about it. Clint Eastwood made a movie 20 years after you turned 71. (laughs) I I mean, it just, I I think about that. You know, I used to see uh, Clint Eastwood, I guess he lived in Brentwood or something. And Brentwood on, is is it San Vicente? And he, there was a, there's a giant median in the middle of the road, a green, like a grassy median. You could see him jogging on that median, like, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. I mean, that means he was jogging on a median when he was like 75. Wow. And he was in great shape. And you you just, you know what it is? The secret is moving. The secret is just never, don't, why lead a sedentary life? I mean, hell, you could start a whole second career at 70 and and not even achieve the heights of, of Clint Eastwood, what he's doing at 91. It's unbelievable. I heard this great. I heard this comedian once. I cannot remember who it was, but you know, he, of course, his son Scott Eastwood uh, is out there. He was in the late, most recent uh, Jason Statham movie, and he's making a career for himself. But I heard this one comedian going, I mean, how emasculating does it have to be if you're Scott Eastwood? You walk into a club with your 90 year old. I mean, I, I think at the time Scott was 90 or uh, Clint was 90. He goes, You walk into a club with your 90 year old dad, and he's walking out with more honeys than you. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> legit. <laughs> Give me your phone number. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't do say you no. feel lucky? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, okay. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. Did you guys have a chance to see the cry uh, macho? I keep wanting to say cry Camacho. Did you see? I'm thinking macho Camacho. Did you guys have a chance to see the cry macho trailer? If so, what did you think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down now, let's move into our main topics here today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them. Whenever you come across a big topic issue or story that you think we need to have as a main topic on the show, just go anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets sent to us by Anthony Berdiner, who writes, How do theater memberships, example, AMC A-List or Regal Unlimited, affect the box office? 
So far this summer, I have seen an average of five to six movies in the theater for my $25 per month subscription fee. With average ticket prices in my theater running around $9.50, my membership per average movie would be half or less of that minus AMC's cut. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, Anthony, this is a very, very popular question that we have definitely had a number of times over the last couple of years since the prominence of AMC A-List, Regal Unlimited. You know, the, right before the pandemic, the movie theater industry was going through its biggest metamorphosis change in the century-long uh, history of the industry. They were making the transition from a pay-per-view, a pay-per-play, uh, you know, one-ticket, one-movie model, which it has been for 100 years, to a monthly subscription model, kind of updating what they were doing and all that kind of stuff. But one of the popular questions that started coming in was, well, wait a minute, hold on one second. How do the studios make any money from this? Because if some guy like Campia has an AMC A-list and he's going to like three movies a week or ten, like nine, ten movies a month with it, how on earth is the studio making any money? And that's a completely fair question. And again, Cinemark has their own movie club kind of thing. AMC obviously has their A-list. It's my favorite of them. But Regal has a really great one, too, with Regal Unlimited. Um, the Alamo Drafthouse has their own version of it as well. And, and they all basically have a version of it now. So the question becomes, how do they make any money from this? We've talked about this before, but it's worth kind of revisiting now, now that the theaters are kind of opening up again. So we asked the question, uh, how do studios make money when there's something like AMC A-List? So here's the basic gist of it. So for about $25 a month, uh, you get, well, at least every single movie theater membership has its own little unique rules. We're just going to talk, we're going to use the example of AMC here for a second though, okay? So for $25 a month for AMC A-List, you get three movies per week. So roughly 12 movies a month if you want. I have never maxed my thing out. I, I, I've never gotten, and I, that's me. And I've never maxed it out. Three movies a week is plenty. So that's, that's the, you can only do three a week. Yeah. Up okay. to three movies per week, which averages out to about 12 a month or so that you could probably go to. All right. Now what normally happens normally, uh, as I misspell normally, of course. So normally what happens is let's, for example, say that uh, you buy a ticket for 10 bucks. Okay. Let's say you go to a movie theater, depending on where you live, maybe it's a little cheaper, depending on where you live, maybe it's a bunch more expensive, but let's just for argument say, normally you buy a movie ticket for $10 to see one movie. Basically what happens is the theaters give roughly two thirds of that ticket price to the, um, uh, distributor and studio. Okay. So basically, basically I'm oversimplifying this by a thousand degrees, but basically you buy a movie ticket for $10 and certain weekends, the theater, the, the studios get bigger cuts certain weekends. The theaters get bigger cuts. When I was at AMC, they basically informed me that roughly when it all shakes out, roughly the theaters keep about a third. There's a mm. whole bunch of, I keep seeing like these numbers being thrown out by, by some people, like half, it, it, it's, it's basically a third, okay? And that comes to me directly from AMC. Anyway, so what that basically means is 
roughly uh, AMC keeps, you know, $3.33 and roughly they have to send $6.66 off to the distributor, right? So if you're only paying $25 a month and seeing 10 movies, well, that's $2.50 per movie. How does that make the studio any money? All right, this is how it works. Under A-list, whenever you see a movie, AMC counts it as a, they may have changed this by a dollar or 50 cents, but I know a year or two ago, it was, it counts roughly as a $9 ticket. So for AMC's accounting, like last night, I went to go see Suicide Squad with Ann. So we both used our A-list. So AMC, the way for their bookkeeping that they account for me as an AMC A-list member seeing the movie, they count it as a $9 ticket sale. They act as if it's a $9 ticket sale, which means roughly they send $7 or $6, I should say, to the studios, distributors, whatever. So every time I use my AMC A-list, AMC has to pay the theaters or has to pay the distributor, the uh, the studios. They have to pay six bucks to them every time I use it. Mm. So once I use it five times in a month, AMC is losing money. Because they're getting $25 from me. If I use it five times, that's $30 they got to send off to the studios. Mm -hmm. So at four times, they're still, AMC is still making a dollar, $1. But once I use it more than five times a month, they're actually losing money. So that's how it basically works. The studios are good with this, guys. The studios are okay and the servers are okay with these membership things because they keep getting their scratch. Maybe a touch less than they would on a per ticket basis normally, but generally speaking, they're getting their scratch. They're getting their money. So they're totally happy with it. So the question becomes, how does AMC make money? Like if I use it five times in a month, they're now losing money. They're, they're, they are now $5 poorer because Campia has an A-list membership. Well, the way they make money is under the same principle of a gym, of gym membership. Gym uh, memberships don't make money from, from everybody coming to the gym. Like my gym has probably 5,000 members. There's never more than maybe you know 60 or 70 people in there. <laughs> yeah. Because what happens is people get memberships and never use them or use them rarely. There are people who are still signed up for Loot Crate. I don't even know if Loot Crate's in business anymore. <laughs> but I knew I knew people who were still signed up for Loot Crate and probably hadn't opened one in over a year. Like they just show up and whatever. I mean, I know people who have gym memberships that haven't touched them in two years and still haven't canceled it. I know people who have like 
a music subscription thing that they have never touched in six months. That's the principle of it. So you see, what happens is the people, uh, the people who never use it actually pay for those of us who do. That makes sense. My sister forgot she had the Regal one in 2019 for almost a year. And then we, I forgot what we were doing. And then she goes, oh, oh, I have the monthly thing. And I was like, girl, (laughs) she's been, and seriously, every time we went to the movies, she would buy a ticket out of pocket and she forgot that she had signed up and she had the Regal um, monthly membership the whole time. You know how bad it is? You know how so bad I, we I, all are I, at this? That now makes sense to me. Here's how bad we are, are, are We are all at this. I got an email yesterday. I mean, I get hundreds coming in my inbox every day, but I got this one email from like PlayStation. It's like, oh, hey, thanks for your monthly premium. You know, here's the receipt for your monthly premium thing where you get like one free game a month. And you're like, I haven't used that thing in like nine months. And I told every time it comes, I totally forget about it. And I think to myself, oh, I should probably um, I think to myself, I should probably go ahead and cancel that. I should probably go ahead and cancel that at, at this point. But I never, ever do. I have a list of I had one. There's those there's an app that will kind of scan all of the app, the other apps and memberships you have. Right. to Let you know <laughs> what you're not using. And it'll say like, hey. You, I forgot what the name of the app is, but it'll say like, hey, you haven't used this membership in a while. Would you like us to cancel? I used to have that and I still didn't pay attention to that. I mean, it, it, it happens all the time. Like I said, whether it's a um, whether it's some kind of a uh, music service or whether it's some kind of a, um, uh, I, a food service or whether like I totally forgot I was still subscribed because I had signed up for Showtime when I was wanting to watch uh, Ray Donovan. Oh, I need to cancel that. Yeah. And then I totally forgot that I still had it. I'm <laughs> like, I've been, I have been paying for this for like eight months. And that is what we as consumers are like. And basically, so AMC really makes its money. And Regal Unlimited, whatever, they make their money off the people who buy a $25 a month thing. And it's still valuable for those people, even if they just see three movies a month. That, that makes it valuable for them, and AMC still makes a profit. Because on top of the ticket stuff, it's getting us into the theaters. And you know, even if, like last night, Ann and I went to go see Suicide Squad, we had just had dinner. And we still, the first thing we do is to go to the concession stand, you know, <laughs> get some peanut-covered chocolate M&Ms, buy a soft drink, whatever. So AMC is still making money on it. So yes, for every person who's like me that's using it seven, eight, nine, ten times a month, there's three or four people who are using it twice, three times a month, and they are making loads of money on that so end. They and make money off of our laziness. What's that? Off of our laziness. Yeah. yeah. Off okay. of our laziness. Cool. Or again, it's there's that sweet spot where if you get the membership and you see it just the right number of times a month, you are saving money. And AMC is making money. There's that sweet spot. Then there's that other spot where you use it zero or one times a month and AMC is just making money off you. 
And then there's those of us on the other side of the extreme who's using it like eight, nine, 10 times a month and we're costing AMC money, but overall it ends up being profitable for AMC. Do you lose, cause I don't have the membership. Do you lose, um, like does it accumulate nope. over the weeks? Okay. Nope. So if you don't see three in a week, you lose. Yeah. It's not like those, next okay, week you get it. to see six. Okay. okay. You know, you can get to see up, up to three and away you go. And all you got to do is like see three a month and you're, you're saving money if okay. you do it. So it's, it's actually really good. Anyway, Rob, like you have yourself like all the way back to movie pass when <laughs> that was there. Do you like do you have any other angle on this? Like, is there anything I'm missing about this whole thing and and the value proposition and how the the studio or the theaters make money off this? No, I think you pretty much nailed it. I mean, I think the gym analogy is a really, really good one. And look, you know, even if you went two or three times a month, uh, I think that kind of a pass is pretty good. You know, it's a it's a really a good idea and unfortunately i you know i i used to live a lot closer to certain theaters now i don't the closest amc we've got a few but i still like the burbank 16 that was your home base for a long time um but i i, I think the whole pro one uh, one i like the idea that even if you can't get to that many movies you're still supporting movie theaters so i yeah. think that's a that's a good thing plus you know i think it helps one of the things about subscriptions, it's the same thing or or, or what, a subscription or a, is it a subscription? Is that what you call it? Yeah. A membership. Um, it's the same thing with streaming. It, it allows those companies a little bit more of a solid base to operate from because they know about their cash flow. They know how much money is coming in and coming uh, out. And I think it helps the stability of a business. And I think as far as entertainment goes, whether it's a streaming service that allows the streaming service like Netflix to know how much money they can spend on programming, which is always a good thing. So sometimes it might not be great for us when we don't expect, uh-oh, 25 bucks just went out of your bank account. But I do like the idea, and I think that AMC implementing it in the wake of the movie pass debacle, which, John, I got a, I got a year. They, I, I was given a gift of an annual movie pass. I remember pass. that. And I knew months in, a few months in, I'm like, this is completely unsustainable. There's no way this can possibly work. And Elizabeth and I had them. And sure enough, I don't think we got four or five months in before it started having trouble. Yeah. And so. uh, we all know about that debacle. Anyway, the question is for you guys. Have you taken advantage of one of these membership services? Like whether it's with a Cinemark, whether it's with a... Uh, 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 Arc Light, which is now uh, no longer to fuck, but maybe you had one there. Maybe with Alamo Drafthouse, maybe with AMC, maybe with Regal. Have you used them? What kind of use do you put them to? Do you only use them sparingly? Do you put them to a lot of use? Jump on down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by... The Real Jack Burton, who writes, Hey, John and crew. I'm a pretty big South Park fan, so it was awesome to hear that creators Trey Parker and Matt Stone just signed a $900 million <laughs> deal for, a six, for six more seasons of South Park of the show and 14 South Park movies. I wish some of those movies weren't South Park related like Team America, but I'm happy regardless. What are your thoughts on the deal? All right. Thanks for sending this in. And there's something special about days where you wake up a billion dollars richer than you were yesterday. We all know that feeling. Waking up one oh, day, yeah. 
having a billion dollars more than the day before. Um, yeah, listen, for me, South Park and Family Guy, I kind of have in the same category. These are both shows that don't always hit the mark. Like I have watched episodes of South Park where I, I barely giggled once. Same with Family Guy. But the thing is, when this show hits, I will literally be grabbing my gut in pain from laughing so hard. And they hit more than they miss. Because But when these guys hit their stride, again, this is the same as Family Guy. When they are on, it is one of the most stupidly entertaining things you can watch. And I don't know if you guys have played either of their video games, Fractured Butthole. It's, and it's actually Fractured Butthole, W-H-O-L-E, but it's pronounced Fractured Butthole. And uh, what was it? The stick of a, the stick of truth. I can't remember the name of the first game. <laughs> it's sorry. called the stick of truth or something like that. You guys in the live chat, what was the name of the first game? <laughs> the stick of something. I think it was the stick of truth. I cannot remember. But uh, Fract fractured butthole was amazing. It's kind of their play on the superhero genre. And then the first one was kind of a play on like role playing games and and uh, uh, stick of truth. It was called stick of truth and uh, Game of Thrones and everything. Absolutely amazing stuff. Well, listen. You don't have to worry about how much longer it's going to be around. It's going to be around for at least six more years. Paramount has absolutely gone to the mattresses with this because they're also going to be doing two movies a year. A year. Jeez. For Paramount Plus. This comes to us from the folks over at Movie Web who write, South Park isn't going anywhere. On Thursday, it was announced that Trey Parker and Matt Stone have signed a massive new deal with Viacom CBS that will keep the show on Comedy Central through 2027. Better yet, the deal also includes 14 original South Park movies to stream on Paramount Plus with plans to release two per year. Bloomberg has pegged the deal at $900 million, making it one of the richest deals ever. We won't have to wait too long for the new movies to start dropping either on Paramount+. Plus. The first two movies of the 14 film overall South Park films are set to premiere on the streaming service in 2021. This year, we're going to get two South Park movies on Paramount+, Plus, though exact dates have yet to be revealed. Uh, listen, all I can say is good for Trey and Parker, these two guys. I, they have been doing this and doing the South Park grind for, I don't know, maybe since I was in high school, they've, they've been doing this a long time. How long has it been? It is. It's been air. a while. I, I remember can't. in middle school, I remember element. Is it, has it, is it over 20? It's gotta be, it's gotta be over 20 years. Nearing 25 years. I, I, I just can't remember uh, where they're saying 1997. Um, uh, Little Little Maddox in the live chat is saying 1997. It's been 26 years. Holy cow. It's been 26 years that they've been doing this. This thing will be on the air for 40 years by the time they're done with this well, deal. Well, it'll be 32. It'll be 32 years by the time they're done with the deal. Oh, 14 movies. No, sorry, I was thinking yeah, yeah, 14 yeah. years. Six I was like, dang. years, 14 <laughs> oh, movies. Okay. Um, which is, and, and by the way, the World of Warcraft episode of South Park is still, to me, one of the greatest episodes of television ever. Now, I don't know if I would think that if I wasn't a World of Warcraft player, but being a World of Warcraft player, that World of Warcraft episode on South Park is still one of the funniest things 
I have ever, ever seen. That and Shake Weight. Shake Weight. Have you ever seen the Shake Weight episode? I have, I have not. Oh, my God. They use the Shake Weight, and then it releases a cooling spray. And it sprays. It's like, ah, oh, it's. But it's it's not just it's not just vulgar. Any any idiot can be vulgar and be unfunny, but it's also really funny. Anyway, um, all I can say is good for these guys. Good for these guys. A nine hundred million dollar deal. Now they're gonna have to be working their asses off. Two movies a year is no joke. While also doing a series is no joke. But with nine hundred million dollars, they can double their staff size. They can get this stuff out, and I just don't see it slowing down anytime soon. So, Kim, let me ask you, what do you think about this $900 million deal keeping South Park around for at least another six years? What do you think? What a deal. That's incredible. Um, it is going to, I feel like after that, after that time's up, they're going to make, let's do another 10 years. But I mean, the show, it feeds off of what's happening in our culture. And 2020 alone probably provided the writers with like... Oh my God. Three yeah. years of content from <laughs> political things to coronavirus to the garbage fire comedy of what it was like for individuals to quarantine to vax versus anti vax to, you know, you name it. I think just one year alone has provided them with so much content and everything, all the fallout. I mean, you can make so many jokes about Black Widow. And, you know, our movie's debuting. No, it's not. We're making a movie about you. No, we're not. You're not getting a solo movie. I finally got a solo movie and now I'm suing. Like, there's so much content. So, I mean, wow. Congrats, cha-ching. You know, yeah, great deal. Rob, uh, I mean, again, I it was a lifetime ago that this show first came out. And it's going to be around another lifetime from now, apparently. What do you make of this? This is like one of the richest deals ever signed in Hollywood. But anyway, what do you think about it? Well, I think, you know, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone have consistently provided. I mean, no one I don't think many people talk about how well it's gone down in quality or whatever, because it's so topical. The show is driven by us. Basically, our society writes every episode of South Park and they're able to comment on these things within weeks of them happening. They haven't even left the pop culture consciousness. So I think South Park has sort of become a unique. If you go back and you watch all the episodes, you can see where America was 20 years ago and where we are now. And it's not an expensive show, but it's a show that still is consistently delivering. And the idea that these guys did things like the Book of Mormon, which was hilarious. One of his favorite stage plays. I mean, it's I, I saw that the Pantages. It was amazing. And then they've done things like whether it was Orgasmo or 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 Cannibal the Musical or or um, I mean, dude, Team America. Come on. And I think these are these two guys are a unique entertainment force, kind of like, you know, like a Seth MacFarlane. Uh, they can do their multi hyphenates. They can do a lot of things. And I think this is exactly what we're going to see. Streamers want to lock up talent. Because the only way you'll be able to go and experience their new stuff is, is on Paramount Plus. And, you know, Paramount Plus, they're there with all of their ancillary. I mean, I read yesterday, I think they have now 43 million subscribers around the, or over across their platform. And that's not bad. And this is why people will tune in, because they have this kind of exclusive content that's being made just for them. So I think it's a smart deal. I, I can't imagine. Can you imagine approving this deal? You, wait, you're gonna spend you're gonna spend 
$900 million on who? <laughs> I mean, and I, I just the think about that. The basketball like, guys? The guys yeah, who do basketball. Okay. I, I just want to be, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall in that room where like the lawyers and everybody, like what did, I want to know, like, did they, was there, was there negotiations? And like, did they first ask for 1.5 billion and then Paramount <laughs> went down to 900 million or did, not, did they just offer, like when I hear these numbers, I really want, I could watch a whole movie, like, like a, a movie, like margin call about the subprime mortgage crisis. They could make a whole movie about this deal. And I want to see who, who made this deal, who came up with these numbers, who crunched the numbers, who greenlit it. I mean, I just want to know because I love the business of Hollywood and this, this is something god bless matt and trey good on you boys because you give all of us hope um and just to clarify because the way i said earlier might have been a little bit confusing so the the show itself will remain on comedy central i'm sure there's going to be a way to access it on paramount plus but then the movies will be on paramount plus so you don't have to have paramount plus to continue to watch south park but if you want to watch these 14 new movies that that will have to be on paramount plus so seems like actually a really good strategy on their part anyway guys Question is for you. Maybe you're a South Park fan. Maybe you're not. But what do you think of this $900 million deal for this? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Joa Edits, who writes, Hey, John. We finally have new information on the Hunger Games prequel. The Hunger Games prequel film, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, will begin filming in the first half of 2022. That's a little over six months away from now. That's actually pretty soon. The film is targeted for a theatrical release in either late 2023 or early 2024. I know it's still far away, but it's still great news and looking forward to it. What are your thoughts all right thanks a lot for sending that in man and yeah listen i remember it it was a while ago that they first mentioned that they were going to be doing a hunger games prequel that was going to focus on president snow as a younger man played by the good canadian kid donald sutherland uh that it was that was going to focus on a young i can't remember how you pronounce his name Cornelius, Coralanus, Coralanus. That it sounds like a sexual act. I don't like the, his name at all. Anyway, Coralanus Snow. Uh, you'll never be able to hear it any other way again. Um, it, it, focusing on a younger version of him and all that kind of stuff. Now, I actually think that the the character of President Snow was one of the more fascinating ones in Hunger Games. I thought he really was one of the more fascinating ones in Hunger Games. So, I mean, I thought it sounded interesting at first. But, dude, I'll tell you what, it, that felt like that was ages ago. It feels like that was ages ago. And now they're saying, okay, now it's going to film in 2022 for release in 2023 or 2024. So we're talking two or three years from now that this could come out. And, by the way, our friend Noah AG sends in a Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Noah. Um, I, I got to say this. I don't know if there's an audience for this anymore. Now, Hunger Games was obviously one of the biggest pop cultural things going on at the time. The books, I still remember like in NBA games, they would go into the back and like LeBron James is reading Hunger Games during halftime and like the players (laughs) are reading, like and it caught on, like all these NBA players were reading Hunger Games during half, like it would caught on so big. And 
I quite enjoyed the movies until the final one. I didn't like the final movie, the second part of the last book. I didn't like that part. But like movie one and two, I was really interested in. I liked them quite a bit. But since that time, and I get it. With Hunger Games done and with Twilight done, Lionsgate is really looking for that new franchise. Lionsgate is hungry for that new franchise, and I get that. But as the years have passed, and and maybe it's just me, maybe it's just because I'm not really connected to the core demographic for this book, I just don't sense the hunger, no pun intended, the hunger for continuation of this story. And I'll tell you what. The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes doesn't do it any favors either. That's a that's a terrible title. That's a terrible title. <laughs> John, it's the name of the book. I don't give a shit if that's the name of the book. It's it's just not good. It's just not good. If there's a brilliant story out there, you know, but the name of the book was, you know, Shit on Feet. <laughs> you should probably change the name of it for the movie version. Do a little bit of adaptation. Anyway, I don't like the name of it. Maybe if I read the story... Uh, a ballad of songbirds and snakes would make perfect sense to me, I suppose. I don't know. But anyway, Kimberly, maybe, again, maybe I'm just not connected to the demographic that this is going to be aimed at. But when the first Hunger Games movies were coming out, it was undeniable. There was a hunger for it. There was an excitement for it. There was a passion for it. I don't sense any of those things for this franchise. It was a very successful franchise. It had its day. I don't, can this thing be as big of a hit as the originals were, or is this kind of misguided? What do you think? I don't know, because the thing is that that whole genre of films, that jumped off because of the whole YA craze, these young adult books. And um, I felt like around that time, I mean, you always have kids that enjoy reading, but I, I remember more kids got more into reading books because of this whole YA craze and, yeah. and this, um, you know, you had um, similar movies like Divergent where you're in this post-apocalyptic survival and the kids are in charge kind of thing. Um, you know, the inmates are running the asylum. Um, and I think the books really drove it. And also what drove it was the next book that's coming out, kind of like how you had um, the popularity of, of Harry Potter it, it all started with the books. And I mean, the book came out, what, in 20, was it 2019 that Songbirds and Snakes came out or was it 2020? I can't remember. Um, but it was recently. And so now when this film comes out, it's going to be pretty far away from the book. And unless she's doing another one right after, I kind of don't see people taking it on because also that generation. I mean, of course, if you grew up with the you know Hunger Games and you were a part of that YA craze and you were reading the books along and waiting for the next book and waiting for the next movie and then and who are they going to cast? You know, there was so much excitement and buildup that made that whole catalyst work. And I feel like there, there's just no buildup right. for it. So I don't think it'll be a bad story. I mean, storytellers tell your story, but in terms of the young people um, or this generation, I mean, it's a whole new generation that didn't really see the Hunger Games. Well, you let's know? not act like it was as long ago as when South Park started. Yeah, no, it wasn't <laughs> that long ago, but in terms of remembering the craze yeah. of the books, that that generation, you know, I, I just, I don't know that it's going to be as like, ah, let's go see it. Let's wait in line for three hours. You know, I waited in line with friends. I remember when the first one came out, like at night, it was one of those, like, bring your sleeping bag in. Um, I just don't see that kind of excitement, but we'll see. Rob, um, I mean, you and I, we have seen, you know, even just in the last 10 years, we have seen hot properties that 
remain hot. We've seen hot properties that go cold very quick. Where do you think this Hunger Games falls in? Is, is it too little, too late for Hunger Games? Or could this truly be a big success? How do you see it? Well, look, I mean, I would like to believe that movies are defined by, if it's a great movie with a great story and great characters, it'll succeed. But I do think that the problem with with the thinking in Hollywood now, John, it's all about we need to mitigate our risks. So can we can we advance a a franchise even more? And and the the problem is that kind of thinking doesn't take into consideration a lot of other factors that like, well, this franchise kind of ran its course. It's Katniss Everdeen's franchise, at least on the movie screen. I mean, it is about Jennifer Lawrence and playing that character. I thought she was perfectly cast when that book came out. I read Hunger Games when it first came out only because I'd read Stephen King's review, I want to say, in Entertainment Weekly, and it just appealed to me. It was it was a lot of, a lot along the lines of his Richard Bachman novel, The Running Man, that was obviously adapted, but the adaptation was nothing like the book. The book was more along the lines of The Hunger Games, and that's actually being readapted now. But it's like, like you said, franchises, the story of Coriolanus Snow, that's cool, you know, but is that what people want to see? from a Hunger Games movie, you know, a young President Snow rising to power. That isn't exactly Katniss Everdeen with her bows and arrows kicking some ass and taking down a a totalitarian government. I mean, I know it takes place in the same universe, but I don't think it necessarily works. And it's kind of bizarre, but that's the thinking in Hollywood because they're like, oh, it's a Hunger Games movie. Here's the number of, here's how much money Hunger Games movies made. But no, Hunger Games movies made that money because you had Jennifer Lawrence playing Katniss Everdeen and those other two cast members playing PETA and whatever. What was Homeboy's name? Uh, um, Hemsworth. The other guy. I forget. And I, read, the other, I, I think read his, I think I think his name in the movie was the other guy. I think he's listed yeah, as yeah. the other guy. But I mean, it, it's like it's not just about that seems the like Liam Hemsworth lot in life. He's the Liam other Hems- one. Yeah, Liam, Liam Hemsworth. Hemsworth's whole lot in life is he's the other one. But I think that that kind of thinking is probably is what's problematic in a lot of our entertainment. Like somebody green lights this movie because they need a franchise. Why not find a new franchise? You know, I, I mean, to me, no one ever got rich following a trend. You get rich in Hollywood setting trends, breaking new ground. But the problem is movies are so expensive to make that it's hard for them to do that. And I just don't think this movie, even the title, like we talked about, it doesn't exactly scream. I mean, The Hunger Games, that's a great title. The Hunger Games, Catching Fire. And then Mockingjay, if you've become a Hunger Games fan and you know the, the, um, the meaning of Mockingjay, even that's a cool title. But what is it? A Song of Ice and Fire. I mean, a song of what? songbirds and snakes songbirds and snakes i'm like that sounds like a a, a mid-70s uh soft rock tune (laughs) but like listen and let's say this i have not read songbirds and snakes the book for all neither i read the other hunger games books like for all we know it's the best book out of the entire thing and for all we know this is like the greatest story they've ever come up with in this universe i mean i i mean that's all possible so i'm not making any commentary on what i think the quality of the story is i'm just saying from a pop cultural point of view i don't sense that desire that excitement surrounding this franchise like there was at the time stranger things like with the popularity of Stranger Things, Stranger Things was so popular. It's like um, if the mom, uh, um, uh, I forgot Winona Ryder's character, but like if she had a sister and you did a <laughs> spinoff of the aunt. And yeah. it's like um, just because it's connected doesn't necessarily yeah. mean it's going to be great. Like who was thinking about the aunt? 
I don't know. We'll All right. See. Well, the question is for you guys. What do you think about this? I mean, again, for all we know, maybe it's the potentially the greatest movie ever made. I just don't know that there's a real excitement for something like that right now. How are you guys feeling about it? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. And by the way, our friend Jordan Saylor sends in a super chat badge in live chat. Thank you, Jordan. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four, shall we? And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Kyle Arking, who writes, John, did you read the Forbes interview with Jungle Cruise producer John Fox, where he said that they are developing a Chronicle sequel? He also states in the same interview that he would love to make a sequel to The Man from U.N.C.L.E. Well, that's never going to happen. I don't care what he says, if he wants to or not. Um, One of my favorite movies, what do you think? Thanks. All right, we'll just... Quickly on the Man of Uncle part of that, um, you know I loved Man from Uncle. I loved that movie, and I thought the dynamic and chemistry between Army Hammer and Henry Cavill was awesome. But there are two realities. Reality number one: nobody went to go see it. I mean, it 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 so underperformed for how good it was. It's a crime. It's a crime more people did not go to support this movie because it's great. I love that movie. And then there's the Army Hammer thing. <laughs> so, and yeah. then there's the Army Hammer. And there's the Army Hammer. Uh, so you yeah. combine the box office flopping with the fact that like one of the stars now is Persona Non Grata right now. So you can just forget about that. But the other part is very exciting. The other part, the idea of Chronicle 2. Listen, I still remember... I went to go watch Chronicle. It was at the Fox studio lot. They invited me over to the lot to come see this film. I didn't even want to see it because I was so sick and tired of these found footage movies. So my brother-in-law, Ray, who does all all graphics, I got a hold of him and said, come with me and watch this thing. So I got to go out there. I might as well have somebody to go with. So he came with me and I watched Chronicle and I was like, oh my God. That was so good. Love that movie. I, I, it just was a great superhero and supervillain origins. And of course, the actors in it went on to do some great things. Obviously, with Michael B and things like that. And the movie is fantastic. And when it ended, all I could think about was I need to see what happens next. I need to see what, because it was basically just the origins. What happens now? There were still some huge question marks about it. And we have thought and wondered for years and years and years, are they going to do another one? And this is the first time we're hearing from the actual producer saying, oh yeah, we're working on it. This comes to us from the folks, um, I believe we got this from Variety. And this is the producer, John Davis, who said the following. Chronicle was literally the best return on investment movie any of my movies ever made. Chronicle we did for $12 million. And it grossed 126.64 million worldwide. Then it had a huge afterlife in syndication. It's one of the most financially successful movies in my stable. We're working on Chronicle 2 right now. And I think it's going to be great. We're working on it over at Fox. That's 20th Century Studios. It's going to give us a chance to tell the story in a different way. We're going to tell it from the female point of view. It will have been 10 years since the event happened in Seattle. And a lot of it's going to deal with the fake news and real news and cover-ups. More interestingly, it's the next generation getting these powers that are corruptive. 
These are young women just finishing college. They are empowered, and this is their journey. I mean, what a new and interesting story can you tell there? And that, of course, comes to us from the producer, John Davis. And by the way, Marie Seifring sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Marie. All right. So let, let's back this up just a little bit. A number of years ago, and uh, Rob, I keep forgetting the name, uh, the dude who wrote uh, Chronicle, uh, the director's son. Um, uh, Judge uh, um, Max Landis. Yeah, Max Landis wrote it. Did a terrific job writing this. And I remember hearing Max Landis talk about a potential Chronicle 2 years and years and years ago. And he told this story about how, yeah, Fox wanted to do another one. But instead of continuing the story of these characters, they wanted to do it just all over again. Okay, now a new set of kids stumbles across this alien nature of origin thing underground, and they develop these powers, and they don't know what's going on. And he's like, and and Landis said at the time, we already did that. And I remember thinking to myself, yeah, you already did that. I am not interested in going back and just doing the first movie over again, just this time from the perspective of a new group of characters. I want to see what happened to these guys. This is who I'm interested in. This, it was the story of the... Listen, the concept is great, but the concept is the vehicle for the characters. I got connected to this concept because of the characters that you wrote. This is what we want to see. And I remember at the time years ago thinking... Listen, I want a, I want a Chronicle 2. I really do. But thank God they didn't do this one. Thank God I thought to myself they didn't do this one. Well, now we're hearing the producer saying, hey, we got the next Chronicle. And it's a new group of characters who discover these powers and blame. It's the same fucking movie. We had this movie already. Get, I, look, I get it. Maybe Michael B. Jordan is a little hard to get a hold of these days. I mean, like he died. And he first, died. But I mean, <laughs> you can bring them back. These are superpowered hey, beings. you never know. Yeah. I get it. Maybe these guys are a little hard to get. Okay, I don't get. Recast for all I care. Recast. Actors can act in a role. They can move on and bring in another actor to play in the role. Recast if you have to. I am not interested in you just telling this over again. I wasn't interested in it six years ago when Max Landis said what Fox's plans were. I'm not interested in it now. I have been dying to see a follow-up to this, but I have zero interest in just telling the same damn story. No interest whatsoever. Now, I get it. The idea of it is like part of Chronicle was catching these high school guys and how do guys like react to this? It's like, wouldn't it be a little bit interesting to see we're like, okay, but how would women react to this? How would it affect them? Not, and, and not just different as in different gender, but now instead of high school, a little bit more mature. Now they're in college and they, okay, this, that's interesting. But at the bottom line, you are still just retelling the same story. And I have zero interest in this. I don't want this. I couldn't give two craps about this. I'd rather go see shit in hand or what was it called? Shit on foot. Feet. Shit, shit on feet. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'd rather watch that than go and see this. I don't know. Rob, I know you appreciate the first Chronicle. I, I don't know if you liked it as much as I did. I mean, I love that movie and I've been wanting another one, but I'll, I'll tell you what, I have less than no interest in this. What do you think? Well, here, look, here's the thing. You know, there's a lot of talk about, obviously, 
things like the patriarchy and gender issues. I would be interested in an examination if a group of girls did find this power, how with what they did with it would be different than if a group of guys found it. There's some interest that that could be interesting. I mean, let's say let's say it was a group of girls in college that were big activists, you know, and and they were they were they they had ideas about changing the world. And of course, I would love to see us where like a group of three girls, uh, let's call them three women, maybe grad students at a liberal arts college that are filled with their far left ideology, you know, they're Marxist or something, and they come across this kind of power. And they start, and and again, you tell a great road to hell story, paved with great intentions, and you watch the rift that exists, and you could make it a really interesting examination of absolute power corrupting absolutely. I would love to see something like that. Again, it would have to be a good story with great characters, and I wouldn't want to see the same story over. I would want to see new people that had totally different concerns, like. You know, when you're in high school, it, what I loved about Chronicle is it played out kind of like how I believed it would. But what happens if you're a little older, a little bit more seasoned? You have different, like you recognize what this power could do for you or be immediately. And it would be really interesting to see something like that. Or what if, what if a criminal element found that power? You know, and and or or say some of the economically downtrodden found this power. Like, huh? How can I utilize this to help my friends, family, and my neighborhood? I mean, that could be interesting, too. There's a lot of great stories to tell if they're done well. Kim, um, you and I have never talked about Chronicle, so I don't even know, like, your overall feelings of it. But uh, just in general, what were your feelings on the first Chronicle movie? And and what do you think about the sounds of what the producer is pitching for a second? I absolutely love the first one because it was fresh and it was new. And it did come in the era of the found footage. However, it was before uh, Marvel. And so yeah. you didn't you weren't drowned and saturated with superhero this and superhero that. And my issue, um, I loved it. I love Michael B. Jordan in it. I thought um, it's funny because I think of the the VFX. And how there were times where it looked like the guy, you're like, just show me the string. Because obviously he's on a string, you know, when he's flying in the air and stuff like that. $12 million budget. $12 million million budget. budget, So I ain't going to hit on you. However, the story was so good and the dynamic of the two kids. um, I forget, were they brothers or were they best friends? Cousins. They were cousins. I believe they were cousins. Okay. So that dynamic of what kids are dealing with when they're at home. And then add, what if I get a superpower? You know, because I remember the one kid, his dad was like abusing him or something. It was like it was that. a rough relationship, yeah. Yeah, because they had the sick mom and yeah, all that kind of stuff. yeah. And but even Michael G, Michael Michael G Jordan, Michael, Michael B Jordan, Jordan Michael G his Fox. character, Michael G Fox, um, he was dealing with stuff at home too. And I always like looking into the teen years are so hard. And add what everyone behind this face of like, I'm the cool guy. I'm the jock. I'm the nerd. Everyone goes home. And at, and at the end of the day, we're all struggling with insecurities and relationships. And I liked that element that they took it deeper just with the powers. To me, it was more about the relationships and the struggles. And then you added the power and it was just cool. Like, I really liked yep. how he could fly. It looked really cool. But the ending of Chronicle is what got me. 
the ending of yeah. Chronicle of the one kid, um, I guess that, that were cousins. And it, wasn't it like he was like, I'm going to figure this out. Like, I promise you. Yeah. Like, and he was just promising to the, the memory because the kid passed that away. I, like, for you, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's like, it I'm just like this, this giant open door to continue the story. It, That's you true. were already expecting a sequel. So the fact that this isn't, I, I, I want them to tie that kid in. I don't want to see what what you just read i don't want to see that because here's the problem um is it is it number seven um the movie that's just like it um gosh. i am number seven is that what you're thinking of no where the kid got they they were picking them off you guys i'm doing a terrible job remembering this it was a kid that had powers and the government was they were picking them off one by one and he's like well i'm number 11 or well, it's the one Rob where there were aliens, out. where he was an yes, alien. It's like, yeah, yeah. And I was, think it's I am number seven. I am I number think. seven. Okay. Yeah. Or I am number four is what uh, yes, I'm number four. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I am number four. My problem is I've already seen a reboot because I am number four was, was much like it. The one uh, that came out with Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt um, and Jamie Foxx, that was very similar in terms of people who aren't like Superman, where they were born with this, where they've always had it. People who stumbled upon power. And all of a sudden are using it. That trope has been done quite a few times. Some of them did it great. Some of them I'm like, great, this is a sequel to Chronicle. Again, I don't believe that because there was a male version, or I don't like to call it a male version, a story that centered around males that we have to do a female. I believe we're better together. There are there are things that everyone can add to the pot. And so I think it should be more of this guy is still around, whatever the kid's name was, I forgot, was it Matt or something like that? And he sees maybe on the news or maybe on YouTube now or on Instagram now that we have that. Um, and we didn't back back then, at least in that degree. And he sees these girls and it's like, you know what? This ruined my family. This ruined my friends. My cousin died. I had to kill him. Let me find these girls and let me kind of shepherd them into, look, I know how ugly this can get. Let me help you. Continue the story of him trying to figure it out and trying to make good on a really uh, crappy situation. I mean, his friends died. But tie it in. Let's not do Ghostbusters. Let's not do, like, now it has to be women. We're we're all better together, guys. Everyone's got something great to add to the pot. Let's mesh this together because I've already seen... I've already seen the sequel in in many other films. I don't I don't like this. Well, the question is for you guys. What do you think about this? I mean, I got super excited when I read the headline. The producer says they're going to work on Chronicle 2. And then I read it was that damn story that uh, Max said about five, six years ago they wanted that I have absolutely zero interest in. I don't know, but maybe you guys do see more into it than I do. How are you guys feeling about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number five. And our fifth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Freddie Telusi, who writes, Hey there, John and Rob. So I'm writing this after just getting home from seeing Suicide Squad. I've heard mm. you and other critics raving about it, so I expected it to be good. But God damn. That was one of my favorite movies I have ever seen. How does James Gunn do it? Because the movie wasn't just fun. I damn near had tears in my eyes over that rat catcher scene. You know the one I'm talking about. Seriously, what makes him so good? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, uh, 
Suicide Squad, it's it's here now. It was out. You may have seen it in theaters last night. It uh, unfortunately, you know, HBO Warner Brothers is sabotaging the film by also having it on HBO Max, but whatever. So they're sabotaging its box office, whatever. But Suicide Squad is now out. I saw it uh, a couple weeks ago. Anne and I went to go see it again last night. And again, just so amazed by the film. And by the way, just so you guys know, on Sunday, I'm going to be doing a open spoiler discussion of Suicide Squad. So Sunday at 4 p.m. Los Angeles time, we're going to be doing an open spoiler discussion of Suicide Squad. So if you're interested in talking about it, um, in the whole idea of... um, the whole idea of an open spoiler environment, come on back. We're going to do that there. So we're not going to give any spoilers away here. But again, I walked out of that theater again last night and totally wowed again. I don't think, I don't want to overemphasize. I'm not pretending it's a top three greatest comic book movie of all time, but it's magnificent. It's absolutely fun. And when I came out of it, I, I did start thinking about this. Like, how on earth did, did you start this off? And guys, I don't know if you saw it, but I did a video with Anne last night. And because Anne saw it for the first time and we came out of the theater and I put the camera on Anne. I said, Anne, what did you think about it? And this is what Anne said. It's like Warner Brothers gave James Gunn cocaine, all the money he wanted and said, make whatever movie you want. (laughs) And that's (laughs) what you get. And it's like, that should totally, they should totally put that on the poster. It's like Warner (laughs) Brothers gave James Gunn a bunch of cocaine, all the money he asked for, and then said, make whatever movie you want. And they do. But You know, everybody, college film students can just put wacky, stupid, ridiculous stuff on screen. Cinema, it does not make. But there's something about James Gunn and his approach to this that when you do come out of the theater, um, when you come out of the theater, you're like, not only did we have this wacky, wild ride, I feel as a cinema fan... I felt fulfilled walking out of it. And, you know, then we got this, I got this message from, from them last night. And it's like, yeah, what is it about Gunn that makes him so good at doing this sort of thing? I mean, even Margot Robbie, this comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter, even Margot Robbie talked about this, where she said, if I read the script and didn't know James Gunn was going to direct it, it would have been a straight up no from me. Robbie told The Hollywood Reporter (laughs) Monday at the Suicide Squad premiere in Westwood. I was like, no one can pull this off. It's so specific in its brand of comedy and violence, but it came out of his imagination. He knew exactly what to do with it. So what is it about Gunn that, number one, makes him a great storyteller, whether you go back to things like Super or Slither, or Slither is still my favorite film of his, or Guardians of the Galaxy. What is it? How can he get away with just doing this kind of crazy bonkers stuff where other people can't a lot. And guys, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, but I think it's this. I think the key to James Gunn being so good at this stuff is that for almost every bonkers thing that happens, he puts emotional, um, what's the best? He puts an emotional anchor on almost every bonker things that happens. I mean, honestly, without giving spoilers away, like I'm about to describe a scene. If you've seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen the movie, it'll, it'll go right over your head. So don't even worry about it. But like 
there's a scene in the movie where I felt like we learned everything. That 45 minutes of uh, exposition in film could have given us, and we learned everything we needed to know about King Shark in a, in a moment. They're driving by down the street. King Shark is in the bus, and he sees a couple hugging and kissing each other. And then Gunn puts the camera on King Shark's face. And I feel like in that moment, James Gunn communicated to us what another filmmaker would have taken a half hour of exposition to tell us about the character of King Shark and his emotional state and what his motivations are, and what his yearnings are and all that kind of stuff. And from that point on and everything else in the movie, I was able to look at King Shark and everything he did, did through that emotional lens. Ratcatcher. I, I, I won't even describe the scene because I don't want to risk giving away too much, yeah. but you guys know Ratcatcher, or sorry, specifically Ratcatcher 2. They establish what her emotional anchor is for every way that she acts, how her character is, and what her motivations are. And I just feel Polka Dot Man. They oh, man. totally do that with Polka Like, I, there is underlying yeah. emotional weight to why every character is the way they are. And with every action they take, it sings back to that emotional anchor. And when I so when I realized that, you go back and you look at things like Guardians of the Galaxy, and you understand James Gunn didn't just want a kick-ass soundtrack in the movie. Those songs were the emotional anchor of Peter Quill to his mother, to his past, to who he was. It's such a part of his identity, that emotional anchor. It's Gamora. They, when you really go look back at Guardians of the Galaxy, Gamora, everything's anchored in the emotional weight of who, where she came from and all that kind of stuff. It's what he does. He doesn't just throw, even Starro himself had emotional impetus that pushed him along in the thing. And it's, it's that is what makes James Gunn special. He does, like so many other filmmakers, you just put, oh, well, you should show a titty and make, have a guy's head blow up. Any idiot can do that. But he does it while making it extremely emotionally satisfying at the same time. And I'll tell you what, it's an amazing, rare skill that he has that makes him able to do that. I, I, and again, these are just things I've really only started thinking about in the last couple of days. Anyway, Kim, you had a chance to watch Suicide Squad. It, it, we don't want to do a full review, but in general, yeah. what did you think of it? Because you and I haven't talked about it. And yeah. what makes James Gunn, after watching that, like such a special director? You know, I've got to say he is a special director because I, look, I'm a fan of cake. I like a good 7-Up cake. I like German chocolate cake. <laughs> a cake that I don't like is meat cake. Okay, I have a problem seeing on screen chunks and guts and blood and gore. <laughs> I don't like meat cake. You know, when someone blows up and it's just meat cake, I can't do that. Um, I get nauseous. I actually am not a fan of hyperviolent films. Um, all that to say this, this film actually had a lot of stuff that I don't typically like or vibe with. However... He really won me over in his storytelling style. And that's to say a lot because normally I, I honestly I'm not a blood, guts and gore. I don't I, I, that doesn't do it for me. And so normally I would have gone out. Ah, this isn't for me and kind of turned it off. But what I like about him is he knows that people like crazy. He knows that people like violence. 
but he understands, again, today, the theme of today is the secret sauce. He understands that the secret sauce, and John, I think you put it perfectly, is that he anchors it in emotional ties. And I think that's what made this film, because for me, Polka Dot, and again, I'm not going to spoil anything, Polka Dot Man was my favorite. He's so good. He stuck out to me. He was so good. So good. And also, he didn't, um, the way he really crafted the film, it didn't require a whole lot of, because you have a lot of characters with a lot of backstory, with a lot of issues. All jump. I mean, talk about an ensemble. Like, you got a lot going on there in terms of characters. And God, the way the, I'm not going to go into how the movie, there's a lot of bombastic things in here. But, he doesn't use like 20 minutes of exhibition to catch us up. He kind of, like you said, I thought that was a great example, John, of, of that little scene. With I know King exactly Shark, what yeah. you're talking about. But he does the same with Polka Dot Man. Like very briefly, he kind of explains what's going on with him. And you're like, oh, I get it. You're not like, oh, wait, 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 wait. That wasn't enough. I need more. And it does tug at your heart. I mean, amidst the blood, guts, and core, uh, it does tug at your heart. And I thought John Cena... I was really like, I don't know about this Peacemaker television show. I'm not, I don't know about this. I'm excited. John Cena was really funny. He was, he brought the muscle like always, but I thought he had great chemistry with everyone. Idris Elba, as always, perfection. But I thought the whole cast was great. And he's a really great storyteller that adds heart to the, to the cocaine. Yeah, he did. Anyway, Rob, (laughs) You also had a chance to watch Suicide Squad. So I, I, I don't even know if you like the film or not. So it may be a ridiculous question to ask because maybe you didn't like the movie. But I mean, what this is a movie that could have gone wrong a thousand different ways in almost any other director's hands. James Gunn was able to do something in a movie with characters called King Shark and Polka Dot Man and Ratcatcher um, that. I mean, almost defies imagination. What makes James Gunn so special? And what do you think that was so unique about James Gunn that he was able to bring to Suicide Squad? Well, to me, uh, you know, you kind of nailed it. But I would say more uh, to me, it's it's his holistic approach. The first thing you have to do is you have to establish that there is a world that exists that these characters can actually exist in. And I think like. If you the Amanda Waller character when she's talking about King Shark and and she is is speaking about him like he's a shark god with absolute conviction. <laughs> you know, you're like looking at her thinking, well if she's serious about it and and what James Gunn has to do is you have to first build you've got your characters, but then you have to make us believe in them. And so you have all of these disparate characters and we like the characters, but if they don't exist then in a milieu that you believe that they could all exist. There's so much going on and he has to do, he has to be an architect and uh, in, in a, in a very three dimensional way. You can't just have these fun characters and put them together. If the world around them, you didn't believe in, like, it's so funny. You're looking at these, the Cordo Maltese um, put, let's talk about the people that run the country. If you didn't believe that they're real, you know, if they you there's so much going on, like uh, one of my favorite things in this movie that I was really curious about is the origin of Starro. And it's not I don't want to say what it is, but I just like the way it was presented where you're like, oh, now I believe in, in a very smart, economical bit of storytelling. James Gunn makes you understand who and what Starro is, where he came from or where it came from. And you get it. You understand it because 
and, and a lot of other filmmakers wouldn't have done it like that. And so you buy into all of this because there's a holistic three-dimensional approach to everything. And no one ever thinks like, well, we've got these wacky characters and violence, so that'll all, that'll be enough. Well, it's never enough. You know, you need to, I hate to say it, but there is great verisimilitude within the world that the Suicide Squad <laughs> creates. It feels and weird I think, to say it. <laughs> I think what you pointed out, like like that 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 was something that that cutaway the King Shark cutaway that you already mentioned really stuck out to me because I was thinking, if you think about that cutaway that they had to create, they had to set that shot up. It's a single shot, but you're out on location, you know, and a lot of people might be like, you don't need that shot. You could, you know, from a production standpoint, that's a, that's a lot. That's one POV shot with a lot of extras at night. Do we really need it? Well, James Gunn said, no, we do need it. Because what that does is it builds the world that you need. And when you give a character like King Shark, you immediately humanize a character in one shot, one POV shot. That And imagine that collectively with all of the different characters is what makes you believe in that ridiculousness. And once you believe in that ridiculousness, then you can do whatever you want. I mean, there was all kinds of little, I wouldn't call them throwaways, but little gags in the film Michael Rooker has something that was unexpected. Yes, he does. And I was yeah. like, and 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 after it, you know, I don't want to say what happens, but I was like, oh, like I felt, I felt bad. Like in the middle of the thing, I'm like, oh, you know, <laughs> and and it, but it said something about that character that you wouldn't have expected because he's been he's established as one thing, and then he's shown to be something else. And I'm like, that constant subversion makes you believe and love the world and the characters. And that is a really hard thing to do. And James Gunn is a novelist. People forget he wrote a great novel called The Toy Collector. He worked his way up as a screenwriter. He's been an actor. He's he's worked on studio projects like Scooby-Doo. He understands making movies in a very holistic way that I think a lot of filmmakers do not. By the way, can I just say uh, off the thing here? I want I want a weasel short film. I want I want a made strictly for online. I want them to do like a, a seven minute weasel short film so badly. Right. Um, by the way, I just want to shout out Peter Pacheco, uh, our friend Peter Pacheco and uh, Dr. Merrill both send in super chat badges in the live chat. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that very much. Um, anyway, guys, the question is for you. Uh, first of all, have you seen Suicide Squad? If not, you really should. But if you have. Like, why does something like this work when, like, even Margot Robbie said, like, if I read the script and it was anybody else directing other than James Gunn, it'd be like, no way. What is it about James Gunn that makes him so good at doing these types of things? How did you guys feel about it? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, we had like eight topics here today that we had to go through. So we are all out of time for Robert and Kim today. Robert, Kim, thank you both so much for being here and uh, and bringing your uh, perspectives and insights to the show. It's always good to have you guys here. Rob, where can people follow you and all your great stuff online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM and find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. And of course, Kim, thank you for being here. And where can people follow you? Yeah, pleasure as always. Um, my YouTube is What's Good Kimberly, and my Instagram is Was Good Kimberly, W U Z K I M B E R L Y. 
Good as always to have you guys here. Thanks a lot, guys, for being here. And we'll talk to you both again soon. Okay, guys, Robert Meyer Burnett, Kimberly Curran. It's always good to have them here, but we still got you guys here. And we still have a little bit of time here left in the show. Like I said, today is a long one. We got a long one today. We have like eight topics to cover, but we do have some questions from you guys waiting for us to go. So let's jump over and get to them, shall we? We're going to start things off here with Brandon K. Avery, who writes, Hey, John. I am confident that Bob Chapek is leaving or will be replaced before the year end. Oh, I I would like that, but I don't think that's true at all. Uh, his decision to release Black Widow on streaming is the direct reason for the flop. Feige gave him more shows for Disney Plus because of the pandemic, and still he effed it up. Uh, will the board promote Feige again? Well, there's nowhere left for the board to promote Feige to. I mean, that's the thing. There's there's nowhere left for Feige to go. I mean, listen, you guys know I love Kevin Feige. I mean, all hail Feige. But, like, I, I read some people saying, Feige should be the new CEO of Disney. What the hell does Kevin Feige know about being the head of an international corporation? Nothing. He does. Kevin Feige does not have the skill set for that. Kevin Feige is a filmmaker. And Disney is way more than just a film company. He, you know, he wouldn't know the first thing about you know, uh, a, a billion things that Disney has. So there's no Kevin Feige is not going to be the CEO of, of Disney. He's not remotely qualified to be that. And it's not what he wants to do. He is a filmmaker. The biggest promotion that I thought they could have for Kevin Feige is that to what Island Horn's role was to where Kevin Feige is overseeing all the studios. And, you know, so he can still at heart be a storyteller and be a filmmaker, but I, I I, mean, it became clear that that's not what's going to happen either. So, no, you're not going to see them promote Feige. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would love to see that he would be gone by the end of the year. But Chapek is not going to be gone by the end of the year. I mean, I hope you're right. I hope you're right and I'm wrong, but I just don't see that happening. All right, next up, we've got uh, Cutter Hale writes, Hey, John. So far, my favorite movie of the year is Nobody. I loved Nobody. It was so fun. I've seen it nine times and I loved it uh, more every time. I'm hoping that might change after I see Suicide Squad tonight. Just wondering, what is your favorite movie so far this year between watching uh, uh, this year? I've been watching for 12 years. Well, thank you for watching for 12 years. I guess I can take my headphones off now. Uh, thank you for watching for 12 years. I appreciate that. I it's man. I've seen two great movies the last couple of days, uh, at least the last couple of weeks in Suicide Squad and Free Guy. I love them both. I think if my feet were to the fire, I think I would still say that my favorite this year is A Quiet Place 2. I, I, I still think that's my favorite this year. I I, I might like, because you got to remember, A Quiet Place was my number one film. I thought the best film of the year of 2018. And I might like number two even better. I'm not. I'm still not sure about that. I, number one might still be better to me, but it's close. So I think right now I still have to say Quiet Place 2, but my God, Suicide Squad is great. Suicide Squad is absolutely great. All right, uh, next up, Stubble McShave writes, uh, in the image that was released with the Lord of the Rings news the other day, you can see the two trees of Valinor. Yes, somebody brought that up. Now, those are from the first stage, though, which makes it a little bit confusing. Anyway, uh, they are to the right of the city and are the source of the light. The trees were destroyed long before the Second Age. What do you think? Uh, do you think the trees? Do you think the trees be in the show? Well, there's two options there. Number one, that those were not the trees of Valinor. 
that could have been something else. Or number two, what we are seeing, because remember, the first Lord of the Rings film starts with a flashback to the, to the end of the Second Age, with the last alliance of elves and men as they stormed and, and took on uh, and destroyed Sauron and destroyed his hand, and they thought they got rid of the ring. So this could very well start with a flashback to the um, events of the first stage that leads us into the events of the show. So it could either be that those were not the trees that we think they are, or if they are, it could probably be just a setup flashback sort of thing like they did in the first movie. And by the way, Banana Apple sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Banana Apple. Appreciate that, man. All right, next up. Uh, Ismail Montoya writes, Hey, John, it's cool you have all these guests. Uh, question for everybody. What is everyone's all-time favorite movie film? Uh, Greg, welcome to The Filthy. Well, obviously, the, Greg was on yesterday, and Greg's not here right now. Um, well, you guys know my answer to that. My, my all-time favorite film is, and I count them as one, uh, the original Star Wars trilogy. All-time favorite movie, period, end sentence, Star Wars. You guys know this. I mean, some of the others, though, that that are on my top 10 list, um, Shawshank Redemption always has to be in the conversation for me. Shawshank Redemption. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia is like one of the all-time greats. Obviously, the Godfather films. The original Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, Spartacus. Um, yeah, so those are some, but obviously for me, obviously for me, it's Star Wars. Um, all right, next up, <laughs> somebody's saying, Dominic Ray saying, not Thunder Force? Surprisingly, not Thunder Force. Imagine that. All right, thanks for that, Ismail. Next up, Spencer writes, Hey, John, have you seen DC Stargirl yet? It is actually quite good, and the quality is much better than other DC shows. Uh, oh, he liked the question so much, he asked it twice. Um, I have seen, l- let me rephrase. I watched the first, I believe, four episodes of Stargirl. Didn't like it. Didn't like it. Uh, didn't work for me. Again, I'm not sitting here crapping on the show. Nobody, don't, I can already hear the angry keyboard warriors. Yeah, how dare you not like Stargirl? I, I can already hear the keyboards pounding. I'm not shit-talking it. I'm. It just wasn't for me. That's all. I mean, I was really interested in it too because you had uh, Luke Wilson in it, which I thought was really a cool idea. But yeah, I, 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 I watched the first, like, I wasn't really big on it after two and I made myself go through a couple of more and I'm like, nah, this isn't for me. So uh, I'm glad you like it. Actually, I know a number of people who quite like that show, and that's great. Uh, it just, you know, it just wasn't for me. That's all. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, man. All right, next up, we got Douglas McBride Jr. who writes, just writes in to say, great show. Well, thank you, uh, Douglas. I appreciate that, man. That's very nice of you. All right, Raymond writes in, uh, want to take my little 11-year-old cousin for Suicide Squad, females, 11-year-old cousins, but see nudity and even a penis scene. Violence is fine, but don't want them to see their first dick. Uh, when is it? When is it? Or how bad? So I can cover their eyes or just not take them. Thanks. Well, I'm not going to give away any details of the film, Raymond. I'm not going to give away any details of the film as to when certain things happen in the movie and all that kind of stuff. Yes, there is a scene where junk is on display. There is a scene where, lo and behold, junk is on display. But I don't want to give away where or when it happens. It is very brief, though. It's 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 super brief. Super brief. Uh, like, just for a second. But it is there. 
It is there. Uh, I will tell you it happens in a scene in the jungle. So when they're in the jungle, be ready. But again, I don't want to give away the context of it because there are people who haven't seen the film yet. But it's brief, super, super brief. But I don't know. Personally, I would not take 11-year-olds to see Suicide Squad. That's just me. That's just me. I have no problem if anybody else has 11-year-olds in their life that they feel are totally able to handle it. That's great. Me personally, having seen Suicide Squad, I would personally not bring 11-year-olds to it. But again, that's just me. Not that anybody else should should or should not do that. That's just kind of my thing on that. All right. Uh, next up, we've got uh, Ben Rayner who writes, Hey, John, to clarify my question, I never saw Awake. I remember this because you wrote, in, you wrote in something the other day and like, I have no idea what we're talking about. Okay. You never saw Awake but you talk about it so much, I have come up with my own theory. Maybe Jason Isaac's character is in a co- is the one in the coma, and his wife and kid are actually alive. Uh, just a fun theory. What are your thoughts? Well, it's not for somebody who's never seen the show. That's a theory that makes perfect sense. If you've seen the show, you know that's not what it is. Especially with the end, the ending of the final episode makes it pretty damn clear it's not a coma thing. Um, and I don't want to give away too much for those who haven't seen it, but it gets to the end where you feel like our main character, uh, who I think is, what's his name? Jason Isaacs? Is that his name? Anyway, is about to discover what's going on. And then the season ends and then it got canceled. It's, uh, uh, it's so frustrating to me to this day, but no, not a bad theory, Ben, but if you saw it, you'd probably know that's probably not what it is. But anyway, good theory. All right. Richard Coots writes, uh, Hey, John. Have you seen Before I Wake on Netflix? It's a horror film with heart. As an adopted child of parents who died, who did foster care for over 30 years with over 200 kids. That's amazing. Uh, going in and out of my home, this film really moved me. Now, I, I think that's the one that's got like Thomas Jane and Kate Bosworth in it. The, the girl who played uh, Lois Lane, the miscast girl who played Lois Lane in Superman Returns. Anyway, she's a very good actress though. She's a very good actress. Um, that was like five years ago, six years ago, something like that. Anyway, if it's the one I'm thinking of, and it may not be, if it's the one I'm thinking of, I, I don't remember loving it. Although I think I saw it like the one time and I never watched it again. I think, and I think it was one of those movies we had on when we had friends over and we kind of popped it on, but I don't remember loving it. Um, but maybe if I gave it another chance, I would, but listen, that's a great example though, Richard, about how, because movies are experiential events, who we are as individuals will help dictate what our experience with a certain story is. And like, if this was a movie that was really able to connect with you because of your personal experience, that's a really special thing. That's one of the magical things about movies, man. And I really, I really appreciate you sharing that experience, man. All right. Next up, Ryan Loner writes, uh, Bob Chapek would absolutely punch Thanos before the gauntlet was off. Everybody needs to leave poor, you know, it's star Lord. I don't Everybody blames Star-Lord. Come on. It was not Star-Lord's fault. Everybody gives Star-Lord. Poor Star-Lord. Poor Star-Lord. Uh, and by the way, our friend My Comic Planet sends in like a $20 Super Chat badge in live chat. Thank you, My Comic Planet. I appreciate that, man. Very generous of you. Um, all right. Poor Star-Lord. Poor Star-Lord. All right. 
Uh, let's move on here. We now go over to, where are we at? We're at James L.H. And James L.H. writes, um, Hey, John. I'm not a Canadian, but I'm sure you are fully supportive of the news from Edmonton. Oh, this is the Nathan Fillion thing. Uh, and one of their sons. There's a YouTube video of the Suicide Squad cast showing their support uh, of the campaign for the Nathan Fillion Civilian Pavilion. Yeah, we actually talked about that on uh, on the show yesterday. We talked about that on the show yesterday, and I told you guys about that great Nathan Fillion story when we came across him. And, you know, my friend was dying to see, meet him, and he was gracious enough to come over anyway. Uh, super dude. That's a really cool thing. I don't know if it's going to happen. I haven't really followed the story, but that's a really cool thing that's going on there. You guys listen, uh, follow what uh, James is talking about here. Jump on YouTube, search for that. The Nathan Fillion civilian pavilion. And it's actually pretty cool stuff that they're doing there. All right. Next up, uh, Scott Brown writes, I also wanted to recommend Batman, the long Halloween, both parts, uh, both parts hold a hundred percent on rotten tomatoes. Yeah. I, I do not like um, Marvel or DC straight to home video animation. I, I think both Marvel and DC straight to home video animation is sh- pure shite, to be honest with you. There are a few exceptions. There are. One of those exceptions is the graphic novel adaptation of The Dark Knight Returns. That was actually pretty good. And it was straight to home video. And that was actually pretty quite good. And it was very faithful. Very, very faithful to the original comic, which normally I don't care if you stay really faithful or not. But in this case, it really worked. So I will say that the one thing that kind of makes me a little bit interested about the long Halloween is that it bears a lot of similarities to The Dark Knight Returns. And if they do with The Long Halloween, what they did with The Dark Knight Returns it could be pretty special. It could be pretty special. So I, I, I have to check that out. Okay. Uh, next up, we've got, was that Scott Brown? That was Scott Brown. All right. Next up, we've got James LH who writes, uh, one of three. Uh, John, uh, since last Thursday, I've seen four films. The first being old. I finally got around to seeing it. I didn't mind it. It, it wasn't great, but I didn't mind it. Uh, interesting concept, but by the end, I was disappointed. Although I've always liked seeing Rufus Sewell. I really, really like Rufus Sewell. Uh, ever since Dark City. Next was Jungle Cruise. To me, similar vibe to The Mummy and the first Pirates, uh, especially the characters. The film was a bit of fun. Next, The Suicide Squad, excellent. Had everything I didn't know I wanted. Great characters, over-the-top action in a good way. F9, take note. (laughs) Last was Stillwater. I still haven't seen Stillwater. Good film with usual good performance uh, from Matt Damon. My next visit will be a second showing of The Suicide Squad. Then Wednesday, I'm seeing, well, I don't know, as Cineworld have brought back their advanced secret screen. That's cool. I've always heard about that. In the UK, they're changed Cineworld. They've got this thing called a secret screening, and you don't know what movie you're going to see. I actually find that kind of interesting. Anyway, of an upcoming film, but not knowing what it is, they are always a fun time. That is pretty exciting. You know what I forgot is coming out next weekend? Um, You've got... Free Guy, but we'll also, ha- I totally forgot that it was about to come out, was um, Don't Breathe 2. I love the first Don't Breathe. Loved it. 
And I'm a big fan of Stephen Lang or slang as he likes to be referred to. I'm a big fan of Stephen Lang. I really like the trailers for it. So that's, that's another one that's got high on my anticipation list that I got to see next weekend. Besides going to see free guy again, I really got to go see free guy again. All right. Next up, Alex Detman writes, Good day, John, Rob, Aaron, if or Aaron's not here on Fridays, if you're there, I'm an avid and loving fan of Clint Eastwood, and let me say his trailer, Cry Macho, almost feels like his last love letter to us, the fans. It was heartfelt and almost a Logan type of feel, which I am loving. Yeah, we talked about the Cry Macho trailer a little bit earlier in the episode. It's a great trailer. And again, it feels like it follows that theme that we were talking about, that it seems like Clint Eastwood movies for the past 15, 20 years have had this theme of a guy who's now in the the twilight of his lifetime, sharing the experiences, regrets, and thoughts about life down to a younger generation, and observations about how those experiences can leave us ending up. It's it's that, and this trailer really communicated that, and I cannot wait to watch this, Alex. I absolutely cannot wait to watch this movie. I was kind of a, uh, I was kind of like, eh, maybe I'll see it, maybe I won't when I first heard about it, but after watching the trailer, I am completely on board for it. All right, next up, Gabe B- uh, Baker writes, Hey, John, did I crack Disney's release schedule? There are exactly six vacant weeks in between What If's finale and Hawkeye's premiere where Ms. Marvel can slot in. Uh, uh, The Book of Boba Fett then has a January release, no overlap, and six months of MCU Star Wars goodness thoughts. Well, yeah, again, the whole thing about Ms. Marvel has been a real mystery because just a couple of weeks ago, the executive from Marvel said Ms. Marvel and Hawkeye are both coming out in 2021. But then they announced that Hawkeye was coming out at the end of November, which means, well, there's nowhere left to release Ms. Marvel unless it comes out before it. And by the way, what does that do to the Book of Boba Fett? I I don't think they're going to have episodes of Hawkeye and Book of Boba Fett releasing at the same time. So does that mean Book of Boba Fett's being bumped to 2022? Anyway, yeah, maybe. We, we've said there is a possibility they could just drop Ms. Marvel just before Hawkeye. There is room in there to do that. So it's possible. But remember, the guy from TV Line, uh, we talked about this the other day. The guy from TV Line said that from the conversations he's having, you can fully expect that Ms. Marvel will not come out till 2022, which is like, well, then why did the Marvel executive just say it was coming out in 2021? Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. All right. Thanks for that, Gabe. Next up, Sam Fisher writes, My campy as Disney CEO tip comes from during the Wednesday show, you made a joke about Bob Iger making you the CEO of Disney and you rambled on about all the terrible decisions you would make. Yep. I would make a terrible CEO of Disney. I do all the wrong things, all the wrong things. Like, yeah, everything would be, you know, every movie stars, Jennifer Garner and, uh, Disneyland would move to Canada uh, and all this, I'd make so many terrible, terrible decisions. I'll see you of Disney would never, never be a good idea. All right, guys, listen, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia show. Thank you so much for being here, guys. It's the end of another week. So congratulations for making it through to the end of yet another week. May you guys have a wonderful weekend planned in front of you with all the rest, relaxation and fun that you deserve equipping you for another week ahead of you filled with glorious triumph 
and victory. May you guys have a wonderful weekend. Hey, listen, there are still more questions to come from Matt uh, Shaw, from Jason, from uh, Living Spirals, and Casey McNatt. Do not worry. We will do a, a companion video this weekend. So you not on Saturday, probably on Sunday. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do a companion video on Sunday. Also, don't forget, we will do a open spoiler discussion on Sunday at 4 p.m. Los Angeles time for Suicide Squad. So if you want to talk all things Suicide Squad, we're going to do it on Sunday. Make sure you guys come back and join us for that. All right, guys. That'll do it for this installment of the John Campia Show. Don't forget to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.